So welcome back to the Barbell Bikini and Biz podcast. I'm in for another guest podcast today and it's, it's I don't want to say a morbid topic, but it's probably more a serious topic which we're touching on today. And I'm joined by Hayley Irwin, who if you don't follow on Instagram, why? Because she's it. <laughs> she's a little ray of sunshine on social media. I followed Hayley for quite a, I don't want to say this and sound a bit weird, like I followed her for so long, but I have, I followed Hayley when I started my fitness journey, so probably touching about three years ago now she's one of the one of the first people i actually followed and watched on youtube oh yeah i know thank you so much i appreciate the long ongoing support i know and now i get to like hang out with her and train with her it's like dream come true <laughs> I'm I'm well, we, did <laughs> we, we did have a good session the other day we did have a good session actually in fairness yeah but what i've always liked about Haley is her openness and honesty in regards to mental health which was something which motivated me inspired me and made me feel not alone because there's a lot of things that whether she knows or not we can relate to there's a lot of overlapping the quote-unquote diagnoses that we've had don't like that word don't like that term don't like labels but oh, in a bit. Agree with that. <laughs> but there's a lot we can relate on and I think I got we got a lot of positive feedback on the, the psychology podcast I did so I thought again touching on sort of mental health side of things with someone who has got all the experience all the knowledge and is She's a pretty good speaker, to be honest. She knows how to word things pretty well. So I thought, why not? <laughs> Let's get her on. So if you don't know Haley, or if you've forgotten who she is or anything like that, if she wants to give a bit of an introduction to yourself. So um, I, my name's Haley, as you've said. Um, <laughs> I'm Haley Irwin Coaching on Instagram. And as the name would suggest, I'm an online coach. Um, I have competed in the bikini category. Don't roll your eyes, Lucy. Um, <laughs> Say anything. <laughs> for the last three years um I'm not competing this year but I got into competing I th more or less um as a result of mental health um mm -hmm. and it helped me but it also I think hindered me in certain ways as well I think a lot of people will will be the first to bash the fact that uh, um sorry to not bash that competing is a way to mask disorders and things like that but I, I do kind of think that there is a definite uh, extent to that and that's not everyone that that was me that was me personally um it depends how you do it um but I have been an online coach and personal trainer for coming up to four years now yeah. um three and a half four years um I that's when I started following you <laughs> yeah when I was so I had my I was fitness doing. yeah so I had my fitness Instagram um since probably about five or six years now when I went to uni um, I went to uni to study English literature, uh, so obviously I'm I'm really using that degree and that fifty grand spent wisely. Um, yes, no, <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, as as you've touched on, um, struggled like greatly with mental health during uni um, and like my adolescent years. And I now see my online coaching as a way to support people. And no, I'm not a medical profession, and I will preface that. Um, but from like anecdotal experience and like yourself studied bits of psychology at uni, obviously you did your degree there, but um, I feel like I have a lot of knowledge that I can, that I can definitely help people. And mm -hmm. I have helped people um, with various things like eating disorders and, you know, depression, anxiety, etc. And I think, as you said, like that does stem from my ability to relate to people. Absolutely. Because I think it is. You carry on. Okay. Because <laughs> I think, you know, in order to be a strong person, that doesn't mean that you've never gone through things or ex 
or that sort of stuff. Like you need to you need to go through things and experience hardships in t- like to build that resilience, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I feel like people presume that the, the people that look like they have it all together are the people that I that have never gone through things when you know the large majority of the time that's actually the complete opposite absolutely I think that's something we'll touch upon as well in terms of experience of help and support that sometimes we'll come on to that we'll come on to that I'll save that one so bit of a background you don't have to give your whole life story unless you really really want to but you know you've said you've experienced with mental health and you sort of your adolescence in your uni years let's go back to sort of where I put it in inverted commas here issues because it's not there's no right or like wrong yeah. way to say anything is there you can no. like there'll be always someone that gets their back up to anything <laughs> especially in this day and age you can't say anything but I don't like to label it as like as much as it is a problem and something that needs sorting I don't like to give it like that dark cloud overhead so mm. issues in inverted commas where did they begin and sort of what are the things that you have experienced so when I was 16 17 um I I first got dragged to the doctors kicking and screaming essentially mm-hmm. um my mum was like look there's something going on with you like and it was that stereotypical thing where I just felt like I couldn't get out of bed and yeah. she'd she'd come in and she'd rip the curtains open and be like come on like it's time to get up and I'd be like oh and she was eventually she brought it up and I was like no this was sort of when I was going through GCSEs like 16 and then I was like fine and fine and then the following year when I was doing my AS levels she was like look there's something not right here. So I agreed to go to the doctors and I had to do a questionnaire. And each question had, it was multiple choice in terms of like one, two, three or four. It was like a grading thing. And then I completed the um, quiz and the lady was like, okay, so you have depression and anxiety. And I was like, how can you tell that from a quiz? There was no like, there was no empathy or sympathy which is what not what I was looking for but it was just very cold and very like well this is what you've got sort of thing and they were like do you want to go on medication and I said no um so I went down and had some counseling um a lady called Kathy um and I'm sure she helped lots of people but she sure as hell did not help me (laughs) I remember one (laughs) one counseling session she said to me do you feel like a pebble? And I was like, what? And she was like, that needs to bury themselves in the edge of the riverbed to stop being pushed along by the river. And I just looked at her and I was like, no, no, I really don't feel like that. Um, so I was with her for a course of like 12 weeks, I think it was, um, and kind of concluded that that counselling wasn't for me and that talking wasn't for me because I felt like all that it had done was bring up all of these problems in my head, which I knew were problems. But then I, I, nothing happened, nothing yeah. was dealt with. So I kind of got it in my head that counselling was almost a bad thing. Mm. Um, and my mum, who is the most supportive woman in the world, love her though I do. I just remember her sitting like in the dentist surgery and going, how's that depression thing going? As if it was something that I was like trying to pursue. Yeah. And I know she didn't mean it. And every time I bring this up, she cringes. But I just, those two experiences coupled together made me think, I can't talk about this. People think it's just something that I'm making up. 
and when I do talk about it within like a counselling scenario it's got me nowhere so I kind of brushed it under the carpet and quote unquote dealt with it myself um and as I'm sure you're aware it, it come it kind of ebbs and flows a little bit Absolutely. um so I had some definite good years um I had a lot of social anxiety like I remember being in a party at a party and just calling my parents like I need to get out of here like just come and pick me up now um and so I suffered with anxiety on that point of view, but I didn't suffer from anxiety at any other time. It was literally mm. just social occasions. And then I went to uni um, and for the first year, um, I just lived like a normal quote unquote uni lifestyle, takeaways, pizza, didn't know what gym was, all of that sort of stuff. And then um, my boyfriend at the time cheesed on me and <laughs> I was like, I'm going to come back from uni to uni in September. This is at the end of first year. And I'm going to look bang in and he's going to be like, Oh my God, what have I missed? <laughs> so I got into fitness and I loved it. Like literally loved it. Um, from day one, I tracked macros. I'm a very all or nothing person yeah. from day one. I tracked macros, tracked steps, tracked everything. Like I loved it. It was great. Um, and it just gave me a sense of purpose, I think, and a relief um a release sorry not a relief um and then during my second year it kind of became an obsession mm. um now this is nothing to do with the ex-boyfriend this is all to do with me obviously but I just had it in my head that I was never good enough unless I was skinny so I, I just always I just worked out all of the time um it got to the point where I was walking like 15,000 steps a day doing um, one resistance class and one 45 minute spin class and then 25 minutes less like every single day. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my, my resistance sessions were like, right, I need to keep my heart rate over 120 at all times. Like it wasn't like a progressive lift. It was just how high can I get my heart rate? Um, and being at uni meant I was, I was able to hide it a lot from my parents. Um, when in reality, as a result of the eating or exercise disorder I had, it, it was just tearing my life apart. Like I couldn't sit at my desk without falling asleep, like trying to do my dissertation. Um, any social events, I just lied and said that I was busy or that I had stuff to do when I would literally just sit in my room and pretend I wasn't in the house. Like I just felt so critical of myself that I couldn't get anywhere. Mm. Um, and then when I went home for summer, uh, my parents were like, what the hell? Because they were only seeing me every like three or four months. I'd lost like two stones since they last saw me. Um, and I got down to like just over six stone. Um, so I was very noticeably small. Um, and But it was more so how I was acting as well. Like I went on holiday um, with my mum and I, I planned my meals to a tea in my head. And then security took my phage off me or my fire, whatever you want to call it, because it's a freaking liquid, isn't it? It's a yogurt. And I just like cried my eyes out in the middle of this airport. And I could just see my mum's face like, oh my God, is this what it's going to be like for the whole holiday? <laughs> but she was really good. She talked things through with me and, and, and eventually I got there. Like I realised I couldn't, I couldn't treat myself or my family like this anymore. Um, my uncle sort of said to me, like, I just want my H back and it just really hit home. So I made a, 
I made a point of, of like, right, I was never looking back and it was going to be how I, how I dealt with it. And as I got better physically, my mental health got better as well. Um, I became less anxious. I became happier in myself. Um, and then actually it was only, so that was what, like, like three years ago. And of course I've had my low moods and low months and all of that sort of stuff. But sort of this year since January, I've, I've really struggled. Um, and because of who I have been previously, I was so scared to open up that I was struggling. You know, I was a PT, I was a coach, you know, I had, I had to have all the answers when I didn't. Um, and so in March or April, April, um, I went to the doctors and I'm on antidepressants currently um, and have been since then because for the first four months of the year, I tried everything, everything to, to like get myself better. Yeah. And I just couldn't. And I decided like, it's got to the point where I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then that's where I am today and I'm feeling much better. <laughs> I think um, first I just want to say thank you for openness and honesty because it, is, it gets easier with time, I guess. The, you know, the more it's like a past, not memory, but the, the more you like learn about it, the easier it is to talk about, but it's still never necessarily easy, and especially when, like you said, the, the more recent things. And so anyone listening who potentially is on antidepressants or anything, there is no stigma to them. I've been on them, and I think more people than you would think have been on them. So if you are on them, don't yeah. be ever ashamed to say, I'm on them, or feel weak for being on them because I think that was the first thing I thought when I got first put on them first time I went to the doctors and they, they didn't give me the option of do you want them it was there you go yeah, yeah and I yeah. felt pathetic because I was like I you know I, I can't just be a normal human without them but mm. you know you've got to just see it as the same way you know a diabetic my mum always said to me it's the same way like a diabetic needs insulin it's just something that you need just to tick you over and it's there's no negative stigma at all no and I really thought there was which is why I never wanted to try them previously because I, I like you say I saw it as weak and I was just like oh, I, can't, I can't do this and then as I said it got to the point where I was like why am I stopping myself being happy because it could because I don't want to take a tablet like that that's ridiculous and I don't shout about the fact I'm on it but you know I'm more than happy to be open about it because there is nothing wrong with it like I think what I learned when I was trying to sort it out myself is there was no reason for me feeling this way. Yeah. It was literally a, a biological thing. Like I, I didn't have an issue. I'm a very self-aware person. You know, if I've got a problem, I, I fix it and I, and I work it out and I couldn't find a root cause of it. Yeah. And my mum sort of said to me, like, it, it's just your brain. Yeah. There's just a chemical imbalance. So, you know, you can try and resist it all you want, but if there isn't a problem that's causing you to feel like this, you, you can't you can't change the neurological pathways any other different any other way no so there's not and that's yeah. another thing as well another point there isn't always a cause and that's something i've i've struggled with is always always trying to find a why mm. whenever i felt low i've always tried to be like i'm quite a critical person which is why i did psychology because it's all about being cr critical and you're probably quite the same english which it is about sort of being quite critical when you're thinking so yeah, i was always thinking everything so if i felt down and anxious or i'd always be like why 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 and actually a good person who always sort of drilled this into me is your, your housemate um sarah my friend hi sarah shout out <laughs> you better be listening <laughs> <laughs> but she always said to me it doesn't need to be a why and that's something so if you are feeling like that and you're trying to 
unpick why what's happened there isn't always a why like you said um a lot of the studies into sort of mental health are looking at neurological imbalances and that's one of the things antidepressants do is they help i'm not going to give you the science behind because you aren't you aren't listening to this to listen to neurobiological science but it is to do with neurotransmitter activity and there's a huge relationship whether it's the cause whether it's a, a result but it is all linked and that's what mm. the medication can do and help with so don't exactly and like you said and if anyone's listening and feels this way and it does it can feel stupid when you haven't got a reason to like i will be the first to admit that i've had a very privileged upbringing you know I lived in very sheltered Surrey. Um, my parents are still together. I remember the first time I went to a counselling session, he like he was like, right, I'm going to draw out your family tree when I went for my consultation. Oh, I remember that And he one. was like, yeah. yeah, and he was like, it's so normal. I was like, I know, yeah. I know. I was like, I have no reason to feel like this, but I do. Um, and I think that's probably why counselling didn't work for me because there wasn't a reason for it. Whereas a lot of the time, obviously it can be, it can be, you know, stemmed from like a parents breaking up or grief or anything like that, which yeah. doesn't make it any less, less hard. Of course it doesn't, but it means that counselling will get you to talk about it and open up and realise what it is and talk things through. Mm -hmm. Whereas I guess when you don't have anything to talk through as such, that that's when medication is, is necessary. Absolutely. Um, just to sort of touch a bit further back now, taking a few steps back as to what you said, with the sort of the, again, I don't like to use this term because it's negative, but it is what it is, disordered eating. Did you ever get like a formal, not that it makes a difference or validates anything, diagnosis with that or? Yeah. Um, so it was diagnosed as orthorexia. Yeah. Um, so I went to the doctors when again mum dragged me kicking and screaming um when i had an eating problem and i was put on the waiting list for a nutritionist um because they saw that it was um bad but the nhs waiting list this was in like the june or july and i wasn't being seen to the october um and i was like oh, <laughs> if i carry on this way i'm not gonna be here by october um so yeah so i it was diagnosed as orthorexia but the doctor was like the one of the worst experiences I've ever had honestly he was like oh so do you track your food and I was like yeah I do and he was like, oh do you use that app, app my fitness pal and I was like yeah I do actually he was like such a good app isn't it I lost half a stone on that <laughs> and I was like yeah wow. lost four and a half but you know <laughs> it's not a competition <laughs> um and so that was when I was like that's when I reached out to have a coach because I was like I need someone who understands me and trusts, mm -hmm. understands the process of exercise and eating, not just going to a nutritionist who's going to put me on 3000 calories of shakes and all of that sort of stuff, just so that they can tick a box and say that I'm weight restored. That was literally what happened to me. Was it? I got a nutritionist and she basically made me write out what I was eating. She was like, obviously naff all. And then basically she mm. got this like, like little pen and just added things to it. But everything that she added to have was literal shit like on a morning i'd be like oh I, i'm just having porridge she's like well can you have crumpets and add biscoff spread which obviously is great but it was all just crap and like milkshakes and little chocolate brownies like it was all just junk food and that definitely didn't help because no it's all just it, was, it doesn't make you feel good in yourself when you eat when awful. you eat that it's awful it's like and yeah. she's getting paid how much to do this <laughs> 
I mean, I could sit at home and do that as a five-year-old. I'll be able to I know, but, you know, she gets up, gets up in her Aldi TT and it's like, you're just telling me to eat cake, basically. Like, wow. Round <laughs> of applause. Not the one. Karen Not or whatever she was called. Okay. <laughs> it's always a Karen. Karen, isn't it? Probably a Karen. <laughs> but let's talk about sort of experiences with health and support because for anyone who maybe has struggled is struggling there is so many different avenues like it's not just the same as you know when you break your leg they, they scan it they look at you know whether it needs surgery whether it needs you know just time to rehab there's there's a fixed route with sort of physical illness or even you know sort of more physical illnesses as such i'm trying to think of one brain fog can't think of one but you know there is a reset route like you do, you do yeah. this course of medication you do this with mental health there is no right way to do it there is no fixed way of doing it it's very individual based and so what works for you won't work for me now i think we're actually quite similar in that we've had similar things work for us and things not work for us but everyone's different so let's talk about some of the methods of help from the count, I mean, we've touched on the counseling that didn't work for you. Mm -hmm. I experienced that didn't work for me. But what things you're in a good spot now, like you said, you've struggled, but you're in a you're in a much better spot. So, what things have helped you get to where you are now from where you were? Initially, what made me take make the change and um, get the help because I was aware that I had an eating problem um, and I lost another half a stone after I told my mum that I was aware I had it because I wasn't ready to accept the help. But the biggest thing for me was um, reading. So I read a lot of self-help um, and self-development books. And the one that I always, always, you know, say that, that Loki saved me, I guess, was um, How to Be a Badass by Jen Sincero. If you haven't read it, read it. I haven't read it, actually. Oh, my God. It's so good. It basically hypes you up so that you think that you are a badass. And you're like, how could I treat myself like this? Like, I'm an amazing person. I have all of this going for me and I'm ruining my life by doing this. Um, I read The Goddess Revolution as well, which is a lot more like uh, food centric than how to be a badass. Um, so if, if you're struggling with just the eating side of things, um, I recommend you reading uh, You Are a Goddess. Um, or no, The Goddess Revolution, sorry. And then if you are just struggling in general with mental health and eating too, um, You Are a Badass is a really good one. Um, but that was what made me realise that I had so much potential that this was holding me back from. Um, so that was a really good one for me. Um, and talking. Yeah. I think it's so easy to pretend a problem isn't there when you don't talk about it as soon as you've got to say it out loud, it suddenly becomes real. Yeah. And so as soon as I learned to talk about my friends and talk, talk to my friends and talk to my family and things very openly, I realized that, you know, no man is an island. And, and the more you connect and the more you open up, the more people can help you because people aren't mind readers. Mm. If you don't tell them, they don't know. They don't know you're struggling at all. Um, and so they can't be like, sympathetic or empathetic or anything because they just don't get it yeah. and it's not always a case of needing or wanting sympathy as such sorry not a case of wanting it but sometimes it's a case of needing it especially yeah. with um like eating issues and things like that is you just need someone to be like 
not try and force food on you and stuff like that and yeah and and but unless you tell people that you're struggling they're going to be like why aren't you eating that piece of cake you weirdo like etc etc yeah so I think for me the two two unconventional things were well not unconventional talking isn't unconventional (laughs) but um opening up to people reading and then lastly for me obviously recently it's been the medication yeah what do you what have you found this out i I think a lot of them are quite similar so i've done a a variety of things for a variety of reasons um i when the first thing that happened with me i went to the doctors and i got put for my eat the first thing i went for was my eating issues um and again put on a waiting list which they basically said she needs to get seen now or she's gonna basically die because i was a child there was less of a waiting list so they could round me up i got cognitive behavioral therapy there and it didn't didn't do anything really it was on medication for anxiety and depression sort of antidepressants anti-anxiety even though they weren't the issue at the time i mean like there is overlap um yeah which is a complex subject altogether but they were just throwing me just as a sort of i think it was just them saying we've done something which I genuinely think that's all it was. They're like, shit, we've got this person who's very poorly. We need to look like we've done something. So let's give her some medication. It might help. Didn't help. Came back like two weeks later, dropped like another half stone or something crazy. So But what helped me through my eating disorder, my main thing, 100%, getting me to the best from where I was, which was a very, very bad place. And I, I still have problems now, which I do speak out about. But to get to that place where I could, you know, I was healthy weight and food wasn't a chronic fear, like I wasn't having panic attacks, it was genuinely just my nana. So what happened was I went to go live with her for quite a bit because it was just, it wasn't that I was like kicked out or anything, but the way I was, because I was literally having like meltdowns and like screaming at my family over food. And I had like a young sister, she was like six at the time and she didn't understand. So I went to go live with my nana and again, it was the talking just having the patience, having time out. And I had like my own little, cause I wasn't going into school cause I, I couldn't cause I wasn't well. So I had my own little space and I had, I did lots of sort of relaxation things. So the hippie stuff. So like reading, and I had those coloring books, those anti-stress coloring books and yeah. keeping my mind busy. And again, just talking to her. Mm. So when I felt bad, she'd just sit down and we just talk about things. And sometimes we talk about things that were off topic totally off topic but just taking your mind off things so that was probably the the main thing that helped me with that and then with the other issues that I've had more recently again sort of I don't want to say the label because I don't know what it was but what the hospital said was anxiety and depression I guess again talking friends having a lot of a lot of support and making people aware Mm. the people around you need to be aware and I know it can be hard to talk to them I didn't tell my family at all that I was going for anything. My friends knew and people at work knew, but my family had no idea. And it got to a point where I don't want to go into detail, but I got into a very, very, very dark spot. And so they had to become aware. And it was, it was sad that they had to become aware through that. Yeah. But that you couldn't be open with them before. Yeah. That. And they were, they were upset. Like they, they weren't angry. They were upset that I couldn't tell them. So, but ever since then, they'd then been aware so they now know, so for example, when I was going quieter, that it wasn't that I was just being quiet, that they thought, okay, she's maybe not feeling good, so we'll talk to her. So have people aware. And I know yeah. it can be so hard to tell people, 
um, but it will be the best thing you ever do because having people aware means that they can support you and know that if you are having a bad day, they're not just thinking, oh, she's being a moody person again. They might actually reframe their mindset and think, you know what? She's maybe struggling. Let's talk to her. Mm. And that'll help you because if, you, if they think you're being moody, they'll just be moody and arsey back. They'll be like, oh, screw you. But if they understand yeah. that you're struggling, the way they communicate with you will be, will be more supportive and helpful. And I have been on medications at time for a variety of things. Probably most things that you could get prescribed with I've had. <laughs> I'm the record, but at some points they've served me purpose and others they haven't, but uh, they have at times really helped. So again, there's no stigma to that. They've helped and they have served a purpose at time. So pretty good. Awesome. You really pretty similar. Nice. Nice. But again, I guess one that helps me now Moving on to the next point, nice little transition smoothly here. Um, you're probably the same. Is fitness, um, so bodybuild. I mean, whether you want to call it that, but just fitness, the fitness lifestyle in general is something that's definitely saved me over the last few years. My final year at uni, I no my first year at uni, I was in a weird spot. I sort of transitioned out of an eating disorder, and gone to uni and in that time period my nana passed away very tragically um and i sort of went from you know the disability of being at home to them being at uni and i sort of went the other way i sort of lost control i i, I made i wanted to stay in control because that's that what's what an eating disorder is but not in a different way so it was through sort of drinking and overeating and i don't want to call it binging because it wasn't binging but just overeating but in in a controlled way so i'd restrict all day and then have controlled periods where I eat loads and I gained a load of weight, didn't go to the gym, I stopped exercising and I was seriously fat. And I then started up fitness. I started with a personal trainer um, and just getting into it. And for me personally, the bodybuilding side of things, because it is so meticulous and it is a way of controlling things in a healthy way is, is what gets me through day to day now. Well, let's talk about fitness as well and potentially the, the benefits and how it's helped you. So I think we got to you starting with a coach, didn't we? As well as yeah, so I started with a coach. I mean, I was already sort of quote unquote into fitness then, but I was doing it myself. And, and instead of using like my Fitbit to make sure I was eating in a surplus, I was using it just as a re like yeah. to make sure I was eating in a deficit and it was just a bit messy and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it is really important that you look at fitness as a way that it is positive. Like, you know, it gives you a sense of purpose, gets you out of bed in the morning. Um, as you said, you can, you can track it so you can see you're progressing and then you feel good about yourself. Cause obviously a lot of the time with sort of anxiety and depression, you know, you, you never feel good enough and you never yeah. see any progress, etc. So, you know, using things like a logbook can be really helpful in that respect. Yeah. Um, all of that sort of stuff. And like you've said, there's, there's the element of control that, that bodybuilding can give you if you choose to go down that route. Um, but arguably I feel like, I mean, I will be the first to admit that, my first season of competing was I I embarked on because I wanted to be lean again yeah um and I I didn't know any other way to diet without everyone else freaking out so I was like well if I compete then I I've got this reason to not eat and I've got this reason that I'm doing loads of cardio and, and I've got this reason that I'm getting small which people can't criticize me for um and then I think that's also 
like in my off season, I never got like a five kilos above stage weight in my first um, off season, which which I needed to do because I needed to grow a lot of muscle. <laughs> so yeah. you know, have, staying really lean in off season for me at that point was just ridiculous. Um, so then during my second year of competing, um, I competed more than once. I only did one show in that first year, um, and I just fell in love with the sport of it. And then that following off season, I was fine, you know, putting on like 15 kilos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and all of that sort of stuff. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I was fine in terms of I wasn't like conscious of my body. Like I, I was, but um, I did it for the sport. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Theo's got a toy. Um, um, so yeah, I did it for, I did it for the sport and I fell in love with it and, the more I the more I do it the more I realize that you know yes it, it's amazing having that control but you can't rely on that and your and your strength is only as as good as how you can how can you can adapt it like having all of these healthy routines and you know tracking your macros and all of that sort of stuff is good to a certain extent but it's only good if you can if you can let yourself do the opposite, if you can let yourself, you know, guess things and all of that sort of stuff, it, it, it's not good if it, if it means that you just restrict mm -hmm. unnecessarily to the point where you won't eat something or you won't do something because you can't have your meal. Like I get it in a prep, it's completely different, but in terms of an off season or if you're not competing at all and you're just, you know, tracking macros so that you can monitor your progress a little bit more, you know, it, it, it's a healthy habit for some people, but for others it's not. Yeah. And some people will go into competing and never have eating issues. And I do, it annoys me when people say that competing gives you eating issues. Yeah. I understand that it might, it might change the way you look at food in terms of like numbers and all of that sort of stuff. But I do strongly believe that if you have an eating problem or you have issues around food, competing will heighten that. There's no doubt about it. Cool. But it's not competing that's done that. It's you and your mindset. Absolutely. because there's some people who go through it and never have an issue if they've if they've had you know a healthy relationship with food all their life but for, but a lot of people i think will use fitness to the extreme where it is a reason to stay lean and it's a reason to miss out on things and all of that sort of stuff which is just completely not what it should be it should be about getting that endorphin rush and getting that you know making that progress in whatever progress looks like to you yeah does that make sense makes perfect sense and I guess then it does become hard in some respects if, you know, people have had issues. Like for me, I've had issues in the past with food. And like, I remember at one point someone saying to me, if it's a couple of years, you know, I think my first decided I wanted to compete was like two, about a year and a half ago. Yeah, two years ago. Two years ago, was it? Two years ago, it was the first time I ever saw it and thought, oh my God, that's something I want to do in the future. And someone was like to me, is that sensible for you? because of your relationship is it going to bring everything back and I was like at that point I was like you know what that's actually a good point and maybe then I wouldn't have been as in a strong position and I've just been through a quote-unquote whether you want to call it prep or a, a strict diet for what was going to be the first show wasn't the first show sad times but it's what it is and um, has it brought stuff back yes and also no now but I'm open and honest to talk about that you okay yeah Sorry, Theo's just going for the toy again, and I was like, the way she just <laughs> like, down there. Now, I was like, God. Inconsiderate, um, are they? They're so inconsiderate. I know, bloody puppies. Um, 
but yeah I, I, I get what you mean like yeah. it depends on the headspace that you're in at that time yeah do you think now you'd be able to compete with a healthy mindset I think for me it's always going to be a challenge there's always going to be problems and I'm always going to have anxieties but as every year has come gone on since that that year when it was like horrendous and I was like crying all the stuff I've got mentally stronger with time um do you remember the first time my, my first coach dieted me down because I, I was fat when I started so I, I, I was literally fat you know people say I was fat I was genuinely pretty hefty hence why there's not many pictures because I didn't take many because I looked horrible um <laughs> And then the first time she said to me, was like, oh, so we, it was a few months later. So I dieted down and I was, you know, I was in, I looked normal. I wasn't like lean, like tiny, but I was normal. And she was like, oh, what are you having post-workout today? And I was like, oh, I'm having a salad again. She goes, what? I was like, yeah, I'm having salad. Because that was what was my, on my diet plan for like the first few months because I was fat. <laughs> I shouldn't say that really, should I? But I was bigger. I had a <laughs> bit to lose. And she was like, no, 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 go home and eat a bowl of cereal. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, yeah, go home. You, you've trained hard. You know, you need carbs, Lucy. Go have some cereal. And I was like, can't do that and I just, I just did it and I remember feeling really weird about it and that's actually where my cereal obsession started from that amazing bowl of cocoa pops I had after not eating anything like that for ages <laughs> but again it was just building up little habits and then sort of another time I dieted down I got sort of anxieties about things and now I wouldn't say what how it was this time was I think I managed to stay in control of things because I, the coach I'm with now I trust her with everything she's had issues before so she gets it which is something that really helps mm-hmm. um and what we're doing now is we're working on overcoming anxiety things at a time like i will be open and honest and say now like things like going out for like an off-plan sort of meal an untracked meal now would be a bit i could do it whereas in the past i couldn't but i would feel still a little bit anxious about it but it's about building up so like this week there's things that i would because in prep i tracked everything this week it's a small goal of right this week we're just not tracking these minuscule items that don't matter like almond milk and coffee and stuff that just does not matter because it's negligible which if you Mm. are just in off season guys or if you are just into fitness please don't track your almond milk and your coffee or your sauce or your seasoning or anything like that because there's no need honestly there really isn't like don't stress over the small things like that but I'm getting mentally stronger and I know that I'm in the probably the best position I've ever been in and because I care so much about my goals now um, mm. and getting stronger and building muscle that I know that I can overcome these anxieties, whereas in the past, it's just no chance. And also yeah. friends that really help. I don't know if Sarah's in the room now and stuff, but being like friends with people like that who got it, but also were, were helping to help me, they helped me. So like a couple of years ago, if you said, oh, would you go out for a donut or anything? I'd be like, no. Whereas last year, Sarah got me on the temple hype and I was going all the time. So little things like that I've managed to build up over time. So it's not, I'm not better, but I'm so much stronger than I was. And I do feel mentally Mm -hmm. strong enough to be able to handle a prep and not get myself back into like a bad habit or place with everything. That's amazing. Well done. You should be really proud of yourself for that. Thank you. I've I've got my medal ordered on the way. (laughs) (laughs) I'll make your certificate as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's um, that's getting laminated as we speak. But no, I, but one thing I do want to say as well, I think you're probably the first one to say is if you are still having anxieties, um, quite you know, quite strong anxieties such as you have to track everything, um, you are chronically scared of gaining weight. Like, yes, it's hard for anyone who's in that position where you've got to reverse or you've got to gain a little bit of body fat to build muscle. It is hard. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, chronically 
fear of like if that number goes up you will have a breakdown um don't prep no don't um don't don't put yourself through that focus on getting your head in a good place first mm -hmm. before you even consider it even like yeah please don't do that because it's it's the, uh, the way that I think you get over things like anxieties is is just doing it yeah so whether it's if, if it's going out for meals or something then just doing it I remember that first meal that I ever went with my first coach told me to have an off-plan meal my best friend Megan um who's my longest friend um she will <laughs> she's I'm so sorry she's dragging her bed across the floor like a <laughs> mad woman <laughs> um i'm just gonna leave the room is what i'm gonna do <laughs> um, take yourself away from yes. the situation yeah take myself away from it um so essentially what what the first time i did it i was so an anxious all day i was just horrible to be around like honestly i was snappy because you'll understand what it's like where you just you just can't get your head around it no and the whole, the, the thought of doing anything that's off plan is just, it just controls your mind completely yeah. to the point where you can't even, you can't even focus on what's ahead of you or in front of you because all you're thinking about is how many calories are in that meal? How many this, how many that? And so you can't have a conversation and be a normal person no. because you've got so much going on in your head. But the, the way that I feel like you overcome anxiety is doing it. Yeah. And a prep <laughs> is the opposite of that. It's stopping yourself doing that for six months. Yeah. And therefore, when you try again to do it, Just 10 times harder. those anxieties are going to be there again. So much harder. What? So I think that's, that's where I would say prep is a negative for someone who struggles with anxiety around food mm -hmm. um because essentially you're having to restrict which doesn't make you know which is what is necessary that you know do the necessary but is competing worth ruining your relationship with food that you've worked so hard to get to a good spot no no no, no debate absolutely not 100%. so no 100 percent let's yeah. go on to something helpful for the people for the people if anyone out there is obviously struggling which i gather there will be someone at least one person who well the people who can relate but there may be someone out there who's struggling right now and i don't i'm not saying this because i hope there is someone out there struggling god no no of course but, not you know if, if they've listened to this off the bat of thinking you know this may be something relatable and you've watched this point thanks for still listening if you are still listening <laughs> yeah yeah oh, thanks god. pause <laughs> um we want to provide something in terms of help and taking, you know, actionable steps to getting support. So I'll give my first point is the first one is to talk to someone. There will be someone out there who you can trust or speak to, whether it's a friend, whether it's family, um, a teacher, um, someone you work with. And it might sound stupid, but even just someone through social media now, obviously, eventually you want to get to a point where you can actually speak to people. Because I think actually saying things rather than typing things makes a huge difference. But people like me and Haley, are, you know, I'm sure Haley feels the same. We are open. We're not medical professionals, but because we've been there, we understand and we can and will empathize and offer guidance. So my door's always open, not literally. Mm. God, no, I'm not giving out my address. 
<laughs> but your Instagram, my Instagram door is always open. Yeah. My DMs are always open. I think that's what I meant to say there. There we go. <laughs> that's what we meant to say. My door is always open. Here's my address. Come round, everyone. I'll, I'll um, but metaphorically speaking, I, I'm always open to talk. But if you can get your books, it doesn't, like you said, when it makes it real when you can actually physically say something. When you write it, I mean, if, if you do struggle, you can always write it and give it to someone and then they can sort of initiate the conversation. That's something I've done before. Mm-hmm. But actually physically speaking to someone, get it out there. And once it's there, it's real. And from there, that's when things I always think just seem to unfold. Yeah, 100%. And I think letter writing is something that I actually really um, strongly advise a lot of my um, a lot of my clients to do when they are trying to open up to their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and also friends to do as well, because I think that the the good thing about writing a letter is that you get everything you want to say down. Sometimes when you go to say something, you don't can't you, say you you or you just lose it, like you're crying or you don't think of it, and then you leave the situation and go, why didn't I say this, this, and this? So that's when, like, if you're not writing a letter, like you know, make bullet points before you go down, so you can sort of know that you're going to say everything that you need to yeah um as you said talking is is the best thing and like you said there will be someone it may not always feel like there's someone but there is someone that will listen um and if not there's the samaritans yes that's another thing there's a lot of samaritans and yeah there's like nine charity beats um there's all sorts um, I'll link yeah. a lot of them. I'll link a lot of them in the show notes as well, and um, a lot of the good ones that I've used or know of. Um, yeah. Even just reading, like just reading some of the things they've put on the blogs that other people have put, is just sometimes quite comforting to know that you aren't mm. alone. So. No, exactly. As well. And, and I think the biggest thing to do is is to remind yourself that this is a very real but very temporary situation. That's mm-hmm. one of the like phrases that I I always say. Um how you're feeling is valid and you're allowed to feel however you're feeling and you should never ever let anyone tell you any different um whatever you're feeling for whatever reason is valid you and so you've got to feel them and until you feel them you'll never move past them so the quicker you accept those feelings and understand that's how you feel the quicker you're you'll you will get over it absolutely and it's not going to be a linear process. No. There'll be good days, there'll be bad days, there'll be good months, there'll be bad months. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, it might come back to bite you on, on the bum at some point. Um, as I said, like, I've been absolutely fine for the last two years. And yeah. then over the last eight months or seven months now, I was in a dark place and I hadn't been there in a while. But the, the reason that I... I didn't give up is that I knew I've done it before I could do it again and I understood that it was a temporary situation yeah. nothing lasts forever no. you will so you know, those negative I'll, feelings I'll, won't good days will outweigh the bad always and it can be quite a daunting mm. thing thinking that it's potentially something that you might have for the rest of your life and it will come and go but it happens you know good days will outweigh the bad and if you are feeling right now well, what is the point will things get better it's cliche as it sounds they do yeah they do think back to a point in your life when you were happy and quote-unquote feeling normal that will come back Um, you've just got to believe that it will and know that good days will outweigh the bad eventually 100 percent. 
a hundred percent and as you said it's it's a case of of always being open about how you're feeling yeah um that would be like my biggest piece of advice and seeking help when when you can't do it alone yeah there's a reason that all of these charities exist yeah. because you're not expected to do things no. on your own no it doesn't make um, you doesn't make you know it's like you know if a diabetic was struggling you know then they needed insulin they're not going to be like oh I, I feel weak so i'm not going to do it because that's that's going to detriment their health it's the same you know you've got an earache yeah. you go and sort it out it's, it's not weak to have it it's, it happens if you break your leg you get cast <laughs> all of that absolutely yeah well let's wrap this up here but before well, well first i'll say thank you thank you for one coming giving up your time and two openness and honesty because it's not easy to speak about and yes it gets easy with time like i mentioned to speak about things but it's never an easy thing because whether we like it or not there is still negative stigma there is still our own perceptions of how we feel because we might think like i know for me sometimes i think if i open up and speak on something like this about what i've had will that skew people's perceptions of me if people don't know who i am is that going to give them a preconception of me but i've learned to deal with that you know it doesn't phase mm. me anymore it's not it's not a part of my identity you know you don't look at someone who's got let's go with diabetes and look at them as they've got diabetes or they've had diabetes you look at them as sarah or karen or tom they're just them it's just it's not yeah. it doesn't define them and it won't define you no. either not at all and i think I think again it's one of those anxieties where the more you talk about it the more you'll be okay to talk about it yeah and my and another piece of advice sorry just just to keep this podcast going any, lo- Go any on longer then. Go on um then. is that if you have a negative experience about when you open up with someone judging you or anything like that please 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 don't give up no no, no don't no, see no. that as everyone will think that about you um because they won't and it's just a case that perhaps it was to the wrong person for whatever reason that was. Um, so yeah, don't be disheartened if the first time you tell someone something, it doesn't go to plan, so to speak. No, because it might not. No. It, uh, if it won't, that's, that's yeah. that. But that doesn't mean that everyone will have that opinion. There's definitely more people out there now than ever who are going to understand and support than ever you you know the people who maybe don't quite understand our support will be the minority now because mm. there is so much awareness yes there's still stigma but there is so much more awareness and yeah and accepting this so know that but let's finish on the positive let's finish on the positive on the the signature question of the podcast um your favorite cereal Haley. and i know actually before we get into this <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I, I, it needs to be talked about. It's, this is this is a serious topic right here. Um, everyone who listens to this podcast and knows me knows that I am a serialaholic. Serial is life. I think I was on it before it became like quote unquote trendy in bodybuilding, which I think I should have got some sort of um, credit for. I really do. But then obviously all the IFBB pros who do it, they get the credit for it because they're IFBB pros. But they copied me. They really did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we were in the car on the way home from training and I was... Um, just talking about what everyone was having post-workout and I think Hayley was like, oh, I've got cereal. I was like, I don't sound excited. She's like, well, I'm not. I don't, I'm not really bothered about it. And that's a disgrace. I mean, it really, really I is. I have never been bothered about cereal. I mean, right now, my ugh, cereal is because I have zero appetite at the peak of an off-season. I literally never thought I'd see that day. This, this is the first off-season I've lost my appetite. Um, however... I've just never been bothered by it in prep. I remember my coach being like, have an extra gram, 50 grams of cereal for a refeed. And I was like, 
is there not something else I could have? It just doesn't float my boat. Well, of I'd of rather the, have something. Oh, well, of the terribleness of cereal, which is the least <laughs> of the terrible. So my favourite, my go-to is a combo. I have Cookie Crisp, okay. which is elite tier. Yeah. I think I, if I had to choose one, it would be that. But my go-to is a mixture of Cookie Crisp, Nesquik, and Cocoa Pops. Like as in like, like a, like a fruit salad, but of, of cereal. Yeah, so I never have one cereal. I always have a mixture. Oh, mixing. They're quite similar to mix. Yeah, but then, so the Cookie Crisp isn't pure chocolate. The Nesquik and the Cocoa Pops are pure chocolate. But you have the different variations in size. So one goes soggier and one doesn't. So you've got a bit of crunch, you've got a bit of sog. Okay. And you've got a cookie. A bit of sog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll give you that. What's your favourite? Oh, it varies, man. It varies. Like, tens, obviously, what macros are saying as well, because I've just, do you like cinnamon? Yeah. I've just got one called Cinnamon Stars. Uh, I think you can get in B&M now it's that's awesome. I think if you like cinnamon, um, if if you have cereal on your program, I'd invest because it's very cinnamony. Like you know, like cinnamon squares are very, they're quite sweet cinnamon. Mm-hmm. This is more of a classic cinnamon. It's pretty decent. But I'll show Ooh. you what my favorite favorite one is because it's still in my room because I can't utilize it yet because the macros aren't quite great. I got it for my birthday. This one. If you're watching it on the video, cocoa peanut butterballs. Oh, the macros aren't great. Like for a serving, it's 170. I mean, it's 40 grams serving, so it's slightly more, but 172 calories. It's 5.6 fat. That's my main issue. Like with cereal, you want it for the carbs, but yeah, you're not wanting it for the fat. But it's so worth it. Trust me. Oh, I might have to try that. Reese's I'll bring, you, I'll bring, you, around, bring you some round. I'll bring you moggis. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Anytime. But anyway, guys, thank you for listening to this one. Um, Hope it's provided you insight. Hope it's potentially, if it's been relatable, you know, it's been helpful in that respect. And again, if you are struggling, guys, don't struggle, you know, speak out and because health and support is there. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having again. me on. I feel very honoured to be a guest. You should be. You should be. Only the elite. <laughs> <in Charlton. laughs> um, okay. Uh, yeah. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>